The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, and this is episode 20. So excited. We've made it to 20 episodes. Uh, This week, what a great show. My guest in the conversation is Garth Smith, and Garth is an incredible composer. He does just the most beautiful arrangements of hymns and of uh, music. He does Christmas music. It's, It's incredible. Such a talented musician. Garth Smith. And I had never met Garth before. I was going to be out in San Diego on business, and I knew he lived in that area. So I reached out to him. He was kind enough to let me come into his home. And I walked away feeling like Garth Smith is a friend of mine now. Like, But I get the feeling everyone who meets him feels that way. He's just that kind of a guy. He exudes the spirit and is such a good guy. I met him and his wife, who's just, she is just wonderful. And I I think you're really going to love this conversation. A uh, very talented man and, and now a friend in Garth Smith. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, I'm going to tell you about my favorite Christmas ornament. There's one ornament uh, that's very, very special to me, and I will, I'll tell you the story behind it. But before we jump into all of that, I've got, got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Tyson Abaroa. And Tyson, I'm sorry if I'm getting your last name wrong, but Tyson sent me a really nice email this week as well as he sent me a a free download copy of uh, a book that he has written. This book is called The Fattest Mormon, The Winnebago Chronicles, Volume 1. And I'm a big, big reader, and I started reading it this week. I've got to tell you, I have a really kind of oddball sense of humor. I love funny characters. I love kind of off-the-wall stuff, and this book is right up my alley. I've, I've... I'm about two chapters in, and I've laughed out loud about seven times. Book may or may not be a for everyone because it is a little bit, it's a little bit wacky, a little bit out there, but I want to have Tyson on the show because it's funny. Uh, I would say it's one of the reasons I've always loved uh, Napoleon Dynamite is the characters and just some of the, the, the funny things that happen. And this book is filled with just great characters and such a funny plot. So uh, The Fattest Mormon, The Winnebago Chronicles, Volume 1 is available uh, through Amazon. And like I said, I'm only a couple chapters in, but uh, already laughing out loud. So I'll have a link to it in show notes. Uh, So that's about it. Uh, Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And it is my pleasure to be sitting in the home of incredible musician, Garth Smith. Garth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's so great to be with you tonight. Yeah, so we're sitting in Garth's home, and i got to say, if you want to be in the Christmas spirit, you come to the home of Garth Smith. It is. There's a beautiful tree up front, and there's just decoration all around, and it's a beautiful, beautiful home. We are in Oceanside, California. That's right. And it's, it's, this is a very classic Southern California neighborhood. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. thinking that as I was driving up. Just beautiful, yeah. Garth. So glad to be here. But you are not originally from California? That's correct. 
So let's let's take that journey back and learn a little bit about Garth Smith. Tell All us right. where you were born and where you grew up. All right. Well, first, but I have to give my wife credit for those beautiful decorations because yeah. she's amazing with the, the things that she does in her creativity. So it is got to give that shout out. I'll say it's a very warm and inviting home. If you if you ever get invited into the Garth Smith home, please take that opportunity. It's beautiful. So. Um, I was born in a small town in northern Utah called Brigham City. Mm. You can guess very easily that is a Mormon town. A few towns with very Mormon names. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Nephi, Lehi, and Brigham. Brigham Those are good ones. Yes, yes. And it's a great town to have grown up in. I grew up in the the 60s. It's kind of a one uh, business town. One one business pretty much supplied the ninety uh, percent of the workers when I was growing up. And what business was it, that? It was uh, it was called Thicol back then. Morton Thicol. Thicol. They, oh yeah. They, they build the uh, space shuttle boosters. And things oh, like that's that. right. And, okay. Uh, awesome. And so um, anyway, my father was a was a an executive out at Thicol, and and he moved to Brigham City right before I was born. And so uh, my family, uh, I've got there's seven children, and my mom. If you can believe this, I, I couldn't. I didn't really understand how incredible this was when I was growing up. But she had seven kids in nine years. Seven kids in nine years. <laughs> yes, and I now, was. Were any twins? No twins. No twins. And, and we were just like a stair step family, and I was number six out of seven. And so that is amazing. I just thought all families were like that. You know, I mean, yeah. you just got what was handed down to you. You had to fend for yourself at the dinner table, you know, and uh, <laughs> and uh, have uh, four older sisters, and then my my dad had and mom had four girls in a row, and they thought they were destined to have gr- all girls, and then they had three boys, and so um, that is amazing. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was fun. We were a very close family, and and uh, still are, and uh, just a nice, really idyllic place to live as far as um, neighborhoods and. Uh, you know, street parties. I yeah. really have very fond memories of going over to the neighbors, watching movie, reel-to-reel movies. You know, when they had reel-to-reel <laughs> real things, and uh, awesome. But um, anyway, so um, my mother was a piano teacher, and so she was classically trained. She grew up in the Ogden area. She met my father at Ogden, Ogden High School. Oh wow! And she said that when I was a young boy, that when I was three years old, that I would stand at the piano and that I would pick out melodies of primary songs. Really? Having no lessons or anything, but I would just stand at the piano and I would, and, and she said, she so said, you'd play, you'd play the melody yeah, from so the I, song on the piano. Yeah, just from, hear, just from hearing them as a three year old in primary. I've never heard of that. And she said, she knew then that I had some kind of a gift and, and, yeah. uh, and she, uh, made plans for me to start piano, and I, and she did as a piano teacher. She started me when I was five years old, and uh, she did something that I think was very smart. Yeah, I, I took from her my first year, and then after one year, she farmed me out to another teacher. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think that is smart. Yeah. So there's no conflict. Yeah, with, there's no conflict. I don't feel like practicing mom. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And so. Uh, and the uh, teacher that she signed, signed me up with, her name was Lucille Lawson, and she was a fantastic teacher. She was awesome. from Chicago, Illinois. She was trained uh, classically also, and, and um, she was the one, my mother and Lucille Lawson, they were the ones 
they, how, gave, they gave me the music. How, how long did you study with Lucille? I studied until I was 16 years old. Yeah. Yeah, and so from five... From five to 16. Until 16, I was, I was, I was training classically, uh, trained classically, and uh, I remember performing things like Chopin for my, uh, six, my sixth grade uh, talent show and things like that, playing Rachmaninoff when I, when I was in a ninth grader. And Rachmaninoff as a ninth grader? Yes. And I was, now, did you have a passion for this music, or well, was it just for playing? Like, this, did you enjoy the music I did. genre? I, I actually did. I, well, I've always loved music, and, yeah. and, uh, and I really enjoyed the process. And, and I was one of these students that I, I didn't have to have a lot of encouragement to, you know, or, you know, saying you have to practice, you have to practice. I, wow. I really did enjoy practicing. I can't imagine that. I took piano lessons for, I don't know, a year and a half or whatever. It was <laughs> worst year and a half of my life. I was miserable. I hated it. Well, this but is, I love that someone loves it. This is an interesting story because my father who has passed away, um, he would come home and he was, you know, he, I wouldn't say he was a music appreciator. Let me put it that way. Really? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so this is an interesting, inter- interesting thing about me is that when I sit down to a piano, I automatically put soft pedal on as soon as I sit down to the piano because I am so used. I was raised, as, as I learned the piano, I just heard my father say, quiet. Can you please play a little quieter? And and so I just learned everything playing the soft pedal. And then now, as I sit down, I, I just in, instinctively I just you put, just automatically just go the to the soft pedal. pedal. Yeah, that is that is amazing. I, I so I had Ryan Shoup on, and his dad had him train when he was very young. You know, very very much into it, and his parents were very musical. And I asked the question. I'll ask the same thing of you. Do you think that there is something in genetics with music? Is that a DNA passable trait in your mind? You know, I I don't know. I, I don't really know the answer to that question because I've I've I know personally many musicians who are fantastic musicians who come from families where there is no musical training yeah. and just happen to be their passion. Yeah, I've seen that too. But being that your mother was so musical, are your siblings musical? I have a, a sister who's a very accomplished pianist, yes, mm. and, uh, and another sister who took a different route. She's a, a, a well-recognized Western artist. Oh, and wow. Paint, painter. And, um, and, so, and I've got sisters who, and, and, and my brothers. I mean, their creativity in our family yeah. runs wild. Mm. <laughs> and, and every one of them, down to a person, has amazing abilities in their own right that's great and i just i do i do uh acknowledge the influence of my parents in that was your dad did he appreciate art more than music he uh no i wouldn't say that he he was just kind of a how would i describe him he was just kind of a man's man western cowboy yeah. kind of guy yeah, and, uh, and he loved the outdoors. He was a, a avid deer hunter. He made his own guns, and so the creativity on his side built guns. He was yeah. He took a piece of wood, stock wood, and he would carve it. With so not just assembled. He no. was building, he making would, guns. Literally, he would. <laughs> yeah, and so there was a that element of creativity that he had, you know. And so they taught us um, to develop our passions and to develop our creativity. What a blessing! Yeah. Oh. Huge blessing. I mean, yeah. to be able to, to be empowered 
to do that. That's just incredible. Yeah. So you grew up in Brigham City. Did you did you live there through high school? Yes. Yes. We lived. Yeah. We lived in the same home. Um, very close neighborhood. I just love the the people in my neighborhood and uh, still visit them and have many fond memories. That's awesome. Yeah. Your um, so you were so into music then while you were growing up. Uh, when was your first performance outside of just like piano recitals? Uh, I it was in elementary school. Um, I remember um, well just performing in city type um, settings. Um, yeah, that you know in community settings. Yeah, like down in the community center, or else we had uh, awesome different. Uh, community theaters and things like that, what I would yeah. sometimes play. That's neat. Um, but, you know, as I was growing up, too, I mean, I wasn't totally focused on music. I was very much into sports. Oh, really? I you? loved sports, yes. I, I was... I was I, I, uh, what was your sport of choice? Baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I was a baseball player. And and, um, and I was also a basketball player. And, <laughs> uh, but baseball was my... Was very my well-rounded. Passion. Well, this is the thing, is that when I turned 16, which I mentioned was my last year of taking right. formal lessons, yeah. I literally broke my mother's heart, and I told her that I no longer wanted to take lessons, oh. because she, I know in her mind that she had, she had these visions, grand visions of me being a, a, <laughs> a uh, you know... Being a, what you eventually a, became. Perform, you there know. you go. And, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, I just told her, I said, you know, I, I am interested in sports. I'm interested in doing other things and skiing. I grew up in Utah, and so skiing was a big part of yeah, my life. Sure. And, and uh, just broke her heart. And, and, but oh, I'm, I'm so glad, though, that having um, stopped the formal training, though, I kept playing. That was my question. So you didn't, you didn't just set it aside? No, no. No. But you continued to pursue sports. Did you pursue them all through high school? I did. I did. And I was, <laughs> I was on different teams in, in high school. But, uh, was your dad, being kind of a man's man, outdoors guy, was he pretty pleased with the sports decision? Oh, yes. Uh, he, yeah. he, he loved that. And, loved and, going to games. That was, and, that was a nice connection between us. That's awesome. And, yeah, very cool. So you, you go through high school. You're still playing. You're still keeping that all going, right? Right. Uh, where did you go after high school? So after high school, uh, I graduated, and my uh, freshman year, I attended Brigham Young University. Yeah. And there I uh, still played the piano. This, I was living in uh, student dorms. Yeah. It was the, de- the old Deseret Towers, if people remember the de- Deseret Towers. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, as a, as a college freshman and wanting to meet as many girls as I possibly could, it's the BYU way. Uh, the Desert Towers <laughs> girls' dorms had a piano down in the in the lobby, <laughs> and, and I found out very quickly that all you had to do was to go play some nice romantic ballads oh, in gosh. the in the lobby of Desert Towers, and before you knew it, there was a crowd around you. <laughs> and, Garth uh, Smith with the plan. And so my my roommates and the people on my floor were like, "Hey, let's get Garth. Let's go, let's go over. We need Garth to go over there and start playing." So. <laughs> You're getting used for mood music yes. for your friends. Oh, that's great. And the girls would swarm around. Yes, yes. But then you're playing. How did you get to meet the girls? Yeah, take, well, take you know, break? it didn't, you know. <laughs> yeah, take a break to get to talk to all the girls. That's fantastic. Uh, how did you like BYU? I loved it. I had yeah. a, I just had a great experience. And, uh, you know, I've my my testimony has always been, been strong. I, 
you know, it's Christmas season, and I, I, just to give you an example of, of the foundation that my parents gave me of the gospel. Yeah. Um, this is a story that's kind of in family lore, and, and uh, it was a story when I was six years old. And my parents are, were from Ogden, and so we used to go down and visit um, my grandparents who lived in Ogden, and, I mean, constantly. It was like I knew the way to my grandmother's house wow. with my eyes closed, <laughs> and because we went there so often. And, and uh, in a Christmas season, I was six years old, we, were, we, went to down, we went to a family reunion in Ogden. And downtown Ogden, um, at that time, there was, there was a... Uh, an old store called the Bon Marche, and that and that store had something in it that that I had never seen before. It was an escalator, <laughs> and and my uh, family. And I remember there's seven kids. Wow, an escalator. And, and there's seven kids, and I'm six years old, and I'm seeing this escalator, and I am just like in heaven. You're over the moon. I'm over the moon. Over and, the moon. And so my escalator. parents are just trying to keep seven kids together. <laughs> I'm playing it. up and down on this escalator. My parents go shopping. I'm staying, playing on this escalator. My parents leave the store Oh no! without me. Now, remember, this is like the week before Christmas. S- heavy snow outside. You're seven years old. I'm six years old. Six years old. And six years old. My coat was in the car. I didn't even have a coat. And I'm playing, and I turn around, and I realize that my parents, my family's gone. I was having so much fun, I just totally lost track. Oh my gosh. They, in the commotion of, of seven kids and all the noise and everything, got into the car. And you know how, parent, how frustrated oh, parents I can get, get when, you, when, you, when you Christmas shop. Oh gosh, you know? yes. <laughs> and they're throwing stuff into the car and the kids. And they leave and didn't realize that I'm not in the Six car. Six-year-old Gar Smith yeah. left behind. And, and so what do I do? I think, oh, well, they've got, they're gone. And I'm thinking to myself in my six-year-old mind, well, I'll just walk home. I know the way. Oh, come on. It's the middle of winter. It's December. It's at night. There's And you're nowhere near your house. No, it's like 30 miles away. Yes. And, um, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, I'll just walk home. Wow. And so I remember walking down, uh, it's called 20, 25th Street, I think it was. Back then, this street was known, it was notorious in Ogden for being the bad street. It was kind of like the quote, oh, quote wow. red light district, you know, and it was, yeah. it was it, and I just remember people coming up to me and, and talking to me and saying, and, and me saying, I'm not supposed to talk to you. And I walk on. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember after going several, oh, several miles in the, in the, at night without a coat. Without and a with coat the snow, in winter. Yeah. And this not, is, not being afraid. Ogden's a very cold place. Yeah. And, I, I remember not, I not being this. afraid. And I just remember at, after walking a couple of miles, though, I remember thinking, I, I'm, in, I'm in more, you know, I've bit off more than I can chew. I'm in trouble. I need to say a prayer. Wow. And in my little six-year-old voice, I said a prayer to Heavenly Father. And I remember this was a very, this was a very pronounced experience in my life and has shaped my life in many ways. I had a feeling of warmth come over me that was so tangible and palpable. And I, I remember um, the feeling of everything is going to be okay. And it was almost, I felt like I had angels around me. I literally did. And the, long story short, my parents realized that they had uh, uh, forgotten me. They went, immediately went to the police. 
there was somebody, a nice Good Samaritan, took me into their home, called the police. Oh, thank you. And, and uh, they got together. But you know what? I, I had this experience, and it was, it, it, it was, and that feeling that I had, that warmth was, and that reassurance was, it was so peaceful, and it was so real. And I didn't realize what it was yeah. until I got older. What and I remember it. serving as a missionary and and uh, being in the missionary training center and and also as a, as an older teenager reading the Book of Mormon and that feeling would come back mm. and I recognized later that what I experienced as a six year old boy was the Holy Ghost. What an incredible thing! And let me tell you something. And so when I see little children stand up in sacrament meeting and bear their testimony, I pay attention to them because I know that little children have the capability yeah. to feel every bit as much as an adult mm. the influence of the Spirit. And I give credence to these little children when they, sh- sure. when they share their testimonies because, because I was there. <laughs> and I remember this. And, what an awesome experience. Yeah. And to remember it all. Yeah. You know, really what shaped a formative thing. And so, yeah. and so going back to BYU my freshman year then, so I, I don't know, I was just always... I was just always completely in as far as my testimony, as far as knowing what I wanted to do. Yeah, I knew I wanted to serve a mission. I knew that I wanted to, to serve the Lord any way I could. And, uh, and so my experience there was, was, was just great. I, I loved the religion classes. I loved the atmosphere. And I just had fun. I mean, I was, yeah. a, I was a ski bum. <laughs> and, and I, you know, a sports fanatic too. I yeah. enjoyed the, and you know, that was the year that you know BYU was like amazing in football that year and, and basketball, and and just had a just had yeah. a great, great sounds time. awesome. Yeah. Did you leave on your mission from BYU? I served. I or I, I studied for a complete year. One full year. One yeah. full year. Because this is when mission age is nineteen. Yes, mission yep. mission age was nineteen. And so um, before I, I left on my mission, my birthday was in June. I, I left for my mission when, in August because I wanted to work for a few months to, to earn money for sure. my mission. And having been raised in Utah and being surrounded in the LDS community and knowing that my chances were that I would serve somewhere where there was less you know, population of LDS people, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to have an experience. And so that summer I applied for and received a job at uh, the Grand Canyon. Oh, and, wow, what a and, cool experience. And I worked in the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, and there I met people from all over the world. So and did that kind of prepare you to talk to anyone about yeah. whatever? Oh, and I did. I did. We, had this, little, we had this little group of, uh, of LDS people uh, amidst this other co-workers of, that were, that were put, mild, to put it mildly, very worldly. Yeah, very not LDS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, and but I remember just talking to people and uh, and sharing. You know, I, I was learning. I was learning bits and pieces of the discussions as I as I was going. I remember talking to a Jewish family in their trailer. You know, they invited me to their trailer and talking to them about uh, the plan of salvation. And awesome. you know, it was just so. I always had that spirit of and surrounded by the Grand Canyon. I mean, yes. the grandeur of it. Yes, such a beautiful place. You and know? so I have to go back again to when I was fourteen years old. Yeah, and I, there was a, a gentleman in my ward who served a mission on the Navajo Reservation. Oh, wow! In Arizona, incredible. And, so, uh, and, he, and I remember sitting there in the sacrament meeting, listening to him give his missionary homecoming, and thinking to myself, of all the places in the world that I don't want to go, 
would be the Navajo Reservation. Really? Yes. Wow, see, that to me I, sounds so fascinating. I know, I know. And, uh, and I don't know why I felt that way. But anyway, so I am at the Grand Canyon, and I process my mission papers at the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And uh, through the state president in Kanab, Utah, so you know, right on the border of Arizona. And, sure. Um, my mission call was mailed to me at the Grand Canyon, and I remember standing at a payphone, opening it, talking to my parents, surrounded by this group of BYU students, and opening up the letter, and it said, uh, Elder Smith, you are hereby called to the Navajo, Arizona Holbrook Navajo Mission. No way. No. <laughs> yes. Really? And I remember, <laughs> I remember being so disappointed. Yeah. You know, obviously I had the wrong attitude. Yeah. And... Uh, and I oh, just, that and, is fantastic. <laughs> so I, I told my parents I only had two requests. I didn't want to go to South America, and I didn't want to speak Spanish. <laughs> and I went to Southern Chile. So I, I that is some, like the lesson. Yeah, I some always sort tell, of justice there. I work it? with young men in our ward. I always say, don't say it out loud. Yeah. Whatever you don't I can want, vouch for don't that. say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. What a neat mission. So where, yeah. where were the, what were the borders of that mission? So that's the four corners of, of, of Western United States, yeah. Utah. Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona. Incredible. And, and so the, the, the Navajo Reservation, um, is, it's the largest reservation in the United States. And, and the reservation is its own mission. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. The, it, the mission doesn't exist anymore. And I studied Navajo. I was called to be a Navajo speaker. Wow. And so... Um, Garth, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was just... Really how is your Navajo, how's your Navajo now? <laughs> Well, interesting you ask that because I just did a fireside in one of the cities that I served in. Whoa. And, and, and this guy came up to me and started speaking Navajo to me. And, and I, you know, the, the phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it, yeah. is true. But and, you don't, uh, you know, I get to use my Spanish quite a bit as I travel. Yeah. You don't get a lot of opportunities no. naturally to speak Navajo. There's so tell me lot. about your mission. What? What was it like serving the Navajo people? It was the greatest, you know, that bad uh, attitude that I had at the beginning quickly, yeah. quickly disappeared. And of I course. learned, because you learn to love the people. And when you realize that you're there to serve and, mm. and uh, it's not for your own glory and it's not for making yourself look good or, to, you know, when you realize that you're there to serve the people, you, you, love, the, you love those who you serve. Yeah. And I loved the people. I just grew to love them so much. And, um, and it was really interesting because I would be on the, uh, in the heart of the reservation. And I really did made an effort to learn the language because it was kind of a cool thing when, when the word got around that, hey, this, this white guy can speak Navajo. You got to hear this. You know? And people would invite Incredible. you into their home if you could yeah. speak the language just to hear, sure. just to hear you speak. Novelty. Yeah, <laughs> it was a novelty. And I really made an effort to learn the language. And I remember being in the heart of the reservation, and and and, uh, and uh, this car drove by, and it was a uh, it was a couple of, of white guys, and I remember thinking, what are those white guys doing out here? And I think, wait a minute, yeah, I'm a white guy, <laughs> yeah, I'm a white guy too, because <laughs> I just got so involved in the culture, yeah. and I, you know. It was just a... What but, are those white guys doing? <laughs> oh, maybe the same thing I'm doing as a white guy in Navajo Nation. Yeah. That is beautiful. Wow. I can't even imagine. Like, I, I was unaware that that was ever a mission. Yes, it was. And, and what I learned from the Navajo people was, one, that they're very faithful, uh, believing people. And, um, and it was just experience after experience, time after time after time, 
they were so believing that they that they had many spiritual experiences. I bet. And we yeah. would we would go as missionaries. I can't. T- I can. You know. I don't have enough fingers on my hands to tell you the number of times that we went to the door, and um, people would say, "I had a dream," and my grandmother oh. came to me last night and said that there were two people, two people that had a book, and you need to listen to them and you <laughs> need to read this book. You know, time after time after I, time. This. I can't even imagine. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful blessing. Yeah. So, awesome. So, so what else did you take away from? I mean, how is the church on the reservation? At that time, it was it was struggling. Yeah, it, it was really difficult. I mean, the activity the, the activity rate there there were no wars. It was all branches. The yeah. activity rate was about ten percent. Mm. I mean, I was in. Uh, I would never served in this branch, but there was a, one particular branch there that had an average attendance of about fifteen. And wow. they, had, they had a but they had a uh, a roster of about eight hundred. Oh, people, you know, and so it, it has improved since then. And as I went back this last uh, month, a month ago, I was back there, and, and it's it's improved. There's a stake there. There's wards now, and, mm, and you know, it just, it just brought tears to my eyes. I think you know, on on my mission, we found that a lot, um, and we were at the time really told to focus on proselyting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was you're there to proselyte, reactivate, wonderful, but you're there to baptize and. I know from talking to because we had the same thing southern southern Chile a lot of people got baptized for the missionary and then they loved it they loved the gospel they gained a testimony but through that missionary missionary leaves and they trail off right and we we saw that a lot I think now talking to newly returned missionaries there's a lot of reactivation that goes on and I think the missions of the church all are one more maybe than they were when you and I were out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And we get that direction. I mean, I served as a ward mission leader here in Southern California for seven years. And awesome. really was involved in missionary work. And, and we focused a lot on reactivation. It's fantastic. And I'm serving in the, in the bishopric now. And, um, and that's what we're, we're finding, that you know, our, our full-time missionaries, the wonderful, uh, if any of the listeners out there have sons or daughters that served in the Carlsbad, California mission, I can I can vouch that that you're wonderful, you have wonderful sons and daughters because we've had nothing but fantastic missionaries here in this area. Oh, that's great, very cool. So you serve a full mission, um, and then you get home. Where did you go back to BYU? I did. Yeah. I did. And, what uh, did you study at BYU? Uh, I it took me a little bit to decide into what I wanted, and uh, but I ended up going into the engineering department and design engineering. Hmm. And um, it was, for me, it was a perfect fit. At the time, Brigham Young University had a program for computer-aided design, which was one of the, which it was one of the leading programs. Mm. It was a new technology, and BYU had a program, and the graduates were just like getting incredible job offers. And I saw that as a really, really great opportunity, and I really liked the idea of design and using the creative side of 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 my mind and, and uh, as, a, as a career. And, um, but it's also very technical. Yeah, it's I mean, very technical. CAD work is extremely yes. precise. And so, I mean, it's using, you know, you've got the left brain, right brain thing yeah. going on here in my life. I've got it's the as engineering left brain, right side. as right possible, yeah. And I've got the uh, music side. Wow. And, and uh, yeah. it, was, it was really interesting because when I graduated from the engineering department, there was a, that, now, let me, I would use music even though I was not, not taking formal lessons, I would play the piano every day. 
And I would go to the Harris Fine Arts Center and down in the basement, down in the bottom of the building, they have pianos. Awesome. And, and every day I would, if I'd be frustrated about homework or something or a problem that I couldn't solve, I would just go in and I would play the piano and I would just pound the piano, you know, and, and, <laughs> and it was, it was my outlet. It yeah. was my, my frustration sure. outlet. And, uh, but I loved to play and I kept, you know, kept it up. That's great. And so when it came time for my graduation, there was like a note, little notice that went out, and uh, it said, we're looking for musicians to play for the commencement. Oh, yeah. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll try that. And so I submitted a little recording of a Beethoven sonata that, uh, that uh, I had memorized, and they picked me. That is and great. And so I got to play in the Marriott Center in front of about 16,000 people. It's the largest crowd I had ever played for <laughs> up to that point. And... and, and, uh, and None of my of my fellow students knew that I played the piano, and when I started playing, they were like looking at each other, like he plays the piano. Is that Garth? <laughs> yeah, is that Garth? <laughs> and so, Man, what's he doing down there? Yeah, Garth, get away from the piano. <laughs> but it was a great experience. And, oh, that's fun. Um, and so, I but I, fortunately, I, I kept that up. And yeah, it was. A, it's been. It's always been. Music has always been a great blessing in my life. So you graduate BYU. Where did that take you? So um, I've, my, you know, I found my wife there, and my wife. Okay, so let's let's stop there because okay. that's a big part of life, right? Oh yes, yes. How did you meet your wife? Oh, this is a this is a great story. Uh, I was in the BYU 100th ward, and uh, my good bishop, I was I was actually serving as his counselor at the time, um, or no, this was before then. Right before then, he I moved into the ward, and he called me to team teach the marriage preparation class with a beautiful young woman. I didn't know she was beautiful at the time. But with, a, with a girl named Diane Prine, who ended up being my wife. Okay, that is the most, the <laughs> single most Mormon story I have ever heard in my life, Garth. That you were called to team teach a marriage prep class with the woman you married. Yes. How long have you been married? We've been married 33 years now. 33 years. Yeah. And it started with, this almost sounds like a fake setup. <laughs> no, it's you know, the, the No, I mean, from your bishop. It's, oh, we want yeah. you to team yeah. teach. Yeah, oh, definitely. I'm sure, looking lady. back now, I'm sure it was. He was a, he, he was a marrying bishop, that's for sure. Yeah. Nothing, nothing made him happier than when, when students in his ward married each other. And, and there was a lot of that. And you taught marriage prep together. <laughs> yes. Uh, literally the most Mormon story I've ever heard. So that's awesome. Did you guys, once you were married, you graduated, did you stay in Utah? Uh, no. I, so um, my, my wife, is she graduated with a double major in, in education, in elementary education and special education. And so her job was transferable just about anywhere. Sure. And so when I graduated, I had an offer for work in Salt Lake City. I had an offer in Los Angeles. And I had an offer in a, in a town called Huntsville, Alabama, mm. uh, up in northern Alabama, a town of about 300,000 people. Well, I'd lived in Utah all my, pretty much all my life, and I, and I wanted something different. Sure. And I had just gone to L.A. that summer before I graduated, and I just was not interested in the pollution and the traffic. <laughs> and, yeah. And so... I feel the same way. So I remember that. coming back and telling my wife, I said, I'm really interested in this Alabama job. And, and it took her a while to get over that. But we... That must we, have been shocking to her. Wait, we, we're going to Huntsville, yeah. Alabama? Yes. <laughs> so we ended, up, we ended up going to Huntsville, Alabama. And I pretty much dragged her, kicking and screaming, to Huntsville, yeah. Alabama. <laughs> 
But you know what? It was again. It was just uh, just grow where you're planted, kind of thing. We we went there and and we both grew to love the people of Alabama. We grew right. to love Huntsville. I mean, just so many good people there. Yeah, I'm still good friends with many many people there in Huntsville, Alabama, and um, and so I lived there for about eight years. So I have LDS friends from the South, mm-hmm. and all of them tell me that, or not all of them, a lot of them have told me that. There's a galvanizing force to living in the, I guess, somewhat the Bible Belt or the, you know, the, in the Deep South, yeah. that when you're a Mormon, there's something strengthening to it. I sometimes, I, you know, I think from my, from my home in uh, Linden, I can be to any of three temples in 20 minutes, right? right? I mean, I'm, I'm my, where I grew up in San Jose, my chapel wasn't that close, right. but I can get to three different temples in 20 minutes. But I've heard that, you know, when you live in the South, especially, because there are a lot of people in the South who don't care for Mormons, and so you're this specially strong community. Did you find that? Oh, yes, very much so. And it's like you had to be close to each other to give each other strength. Awesome. And, uh, and but at the same time, also, we, I recognize so much good in the other religions. I, I recognize sure. so much good in the other people who were faithful, believing people. And it was just a really eye-opening and a, and a, and a, um, a way to learn true charity and uh, recognize that we don't have a corner on goodness in the church. We don't have a corner on righteousness. And um, it was just a really positive experience to see that. I've, I've worked with a lot of people from the South, and one of the things I appreciate is that... Uh, by and large, people that I meet from the East Coast or, the, you know, people I meet or work with out here, you don't really talk about religion. And a lot of my friends in the South, religion, you're talking about football, you're talking about your family, yes. and then religion, it's just, oh, and this happened at church, and I go to church with this lady. And it's, I love how you can kind of be yourself yeah. in the South, and you can talk about faith and religion and church and whatnot openly. Right. Once you hit on the I'm a Mormon, changes a little bit. Oh, yes. <laughs> depending yes. on who you're talking to. Yeah. But I love that about the South. So you lived there for how many years? It was uh, eight years. Yeah, eight years. And, and it, was th- it was there that uh, I had a friend who was a, a single adult. Um, and he was very much into, into music, into songwriting. And Huntsville, Alabama is in the northern part of Alabama. It's about an hour and 45 minutes away from Nashville. And he said, Garth, I want, you to, well, I want you to come with me up to Nashville. We're going to go to a place called the Bluebird Cafe. Oh, and, yeah. And there, uh, it was the, the famous first, place. Yeah, the famous place. I didn't yeah. know it was famous at the so time. Huge. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I used to make fun of people that listen to country music. And, and I remember <laughs> thinking, oh, I'm, I'll just go with him because I like this guy. And so I went to, this, to the Bluebird Cafe. And that night, there was a performance where they had like they called the A-list writers were performing. And they just sat in chairs, you know, just stools facing each other with a guitar. And they would play songs that they had written that uh, in this very intimate setting, a small cafe, and they would play songs that they had written that like in six months were number one songs. Incredible. And, but they would play them, and, and I, I, just, I just remember thinking, I, this is amazing, the, the craftsmanship of yeah. what, they, what they were doing. And uh, it, it wasn't like the, quote, country music that I had thought of. It was just stuff that I listened to. It sounded very much like the Eagles and stuff. Sure. And, and, I just, I just really uh, fell in love with it, and, and I became an aspiring songwriter myself, awesome. and, and had the opportunity later, excuse me, later to actually uh, perform at the Bluebird Cafe with the original songs, and 
and I pursued um, a writing. I you know I never, it, 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 I never became anything, uh, you know, established as a writer. But uh, it was a passion, and it was something yeah. that uh, was a learning experience for me. Uh, just a different aspect, uh, a side of my of my music experiences. So you're you're working in Alabama, mm-hmm. but you never stopped playing music. You just kind of kept it going as. No, it was then that I started getting into bands. I was playing in in country bands. I played in a rock band. I played in a jazz band. Where, where's your passion music wise? Uh, growing up, it was rock. I yeah. was a, I was total rock, you know. Yeah. And and uh, and. Um, and then it became country music. I, I was just, I was just yeah. totally into that. And then, um, and now, uh, my passion is what I do. <laughs> yeah. My passion is is uplifting, religious-based, uh, um, just any kind of uplifting music. I, I love classical music, going back yeah. to my original roots. Um, I just love music that uplifts, yeah, no, no matter can, what genre that is. I think you can find that. I've found uplifting music in jazz, in the blues, yeah. in rock and roll, and in, in whatever. I've found all, all these genres. Well, I'm dying to get to your what we're doing now, but did, did you start your family in Alabama? Yes. Um, my wife and I, you know, we all have different crosses to bear. Yeah. And um, my wife and I, our struggle was infertility. Yeah. And so... Very common. Yeah. It was... Um, that's uh, tough. You know, I'll I'll just say that my wife had many miscarriages. Gosh, I, and we we went through the experience of you know the thrill and joy of finding out that, that we were expecting, and then um, just have those hopes dashed when we yeah. when she miscarried, and we just went through that roller coaster. Yeah, time and time and time. She had nine miscarriages. Oh my gosh! And, uh, and so we went through it, and just knowing going through that. Nine times? Yeah. I can't even process that. Yeah, yeah. How did that challenge your faith, Garth? It, uh, you know, the foundation was not challenged, but it was just, it was more of like, well, I, I guess this is the, the cross we're going to have to bear, you know? And it was incredibly strong. I think a lot of people kind of get, get into that space of, wait a minute, I have faith, this shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Why me? But there's a great, yeah. there are great lessons to be learned as you come through that and stay strong. <clears throat> well, I can, you know, I can, I have to say that, I mean, there were many times that I found myself on my knees asking the question, you know, why? Why? Yeah. And uh, pleading for strength. And, but it was there, though, that uh, we decided after my wife had been prompting me and, and suggesting this for years, and I didn't listen to her, yeah. I finally, my heart softened, and we, and we became involved with adoption. And at the time, the church was involved with the adoption programs, and, and yeah. we went through the LDS social services, and we adopted, we brought into our home a beautiful 11-week-old baby. Wow. And uh, our, first, our first daughter, and we've adopted twice since that time, uh, or... And um, and it was also during that time that one of the one of the pregnancies of my wife was viable, mm. and and our son was born in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, uh, unfortunately, though, he was born with a congenital heart defect. Uh, mm. We found that out three months after he was born. He wasn't thriving, and and uh, so for the next three months, 
we basically lived at the Ronald McDonald House in Birmingham, Birmingham, mm -hmm. and um, and other places. But uh, and he unfortunately passed away um, due to the complications of this heart defect. Mm -hmm. And so we've you know we've experienced that pain and we've experienced that that loss. And my heart just goes out to couples who have infertility issues and couples who lose children. I've, I've been there, and I know, I know how difficult that is. Uh, but um, I also know that there's great hope. Yeah. And, and when you think about the uh, temple covenants that we make and the things that, that uh, give us strength to move forward and to yeah. take another step and to wake up the next day, as hard as it is, and I've been there where it's like so hard to even just get out of bed because you're so in so much grief, um, that there is joy that comes. I mean, there's hope that comes. And uh, we just have to, you know, the cliche, have faith in the Lord. And, uh, wow. and things do get better. But So I am a huge proponent of adoption. Yeah. And... Um, I just that's I'm so, awesome. I'm so grateful. My my heart goes out to the to the mothers, the birth mothers who make the decision, the unself completely unselfish decision to to give their children away because they may not be in a situation where they can provide. And what yeah. uh, what, what an amazing what amazing act of faith and and love. I mean that that is most to me one of the most Christ like acts of love that I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, is when. Uh, somebody makes that decision. And it, uh, that decision uh, of the birth mother bless, has blessed my life and my wife's life, our family's life. Yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to say. So for our listeners, uh, you know, most of my guests, I've, well, I shouldn't say most now, but at least in the early days, they were all good friends of mine. Garth and I just met tonight for the first time, and I don't even know if I've talked about this on the show, but I have five adopted children. Oh, do you yeah. really? And no, we so didn't mention had, this. So we've had two, we've had two children, and we, we have adopted five children. So oh, that is that's this awesome. is this that's is a conversation great. between two huge proponents of adoption. <laughs> um, going back to your son, I you know I've uh, thankfully you know gosh every parent the 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 thing you worry about most I've you know I've never lost a child. Um, the closest a couple of years ago, I lost a brother who was 45 uh -huh. and died in his sleep. Uh -huh. uh, none of us knew it was coming. And, and people asked me, you know, kind of, well, what does it mean or how do you feel or whatever? And I know for me, I remember two or three days after he passed uh -huh. that suddenly the plan of salvation became really important. And I remember waking up and going, it has always been important. But now I remember saying to my wife, this better be true. Uh, this this he's got to be there now because all of a sudden it takes on a different meaning like before we were all here on earth so whether or not there was that next step okay we'll find out or whatever suddenly he was on the other side and my brother and i were very close and i went it has to be true now and i doubled down on it i mean yeah. for me that was really a turning point in my life i've always been very active but to say i am all in I, there's nothing because i got to get back to todd my brother yeah did you find a similar experience, or how did it affect yeah, you? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I don't I, want to compare losing my brother with losing a child because it's not in the same scope. I understand but, what, you're, what you're saying. Um, and to answer your question, yes, it, it was 
um, the motivation that I have now, um, having loved a son so much that I would have, in a, in a heartbeat, exchanged places with him. You know, if I could have given my life so that he could live, I would have done it in, in a second. And uh, loving him in just the, in the six short months that he was on this earth um, so much, and realizing that I had, if that I had, that there's a way for us to be together again, and uh, I can see, I can understand how appealing that would be as a missionary to explain that to a family or a person who has never heard that before, and uh, because it motivates me, it strengthens me, and that that hope of and the idea of being able to be together again. Um, it it is a, a motivation for me that I just mm. you know it's it's just incredible motivation. Ah, beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's so. And then you have did, so trying three adopted children or two 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 adopted children. Yes. Okay, fantastic. And tell us a little bit about them. So we in in the meantime, then we had moved from Alabama to California, and uh, I got a job in Southern California, where I live now in the San Diego area. And uh, my wife, being a, a teacher, um, had heard about a young girl who, well, she was, uh, she taught this young girl who was six years old, who had come to America from Mexico. And um, anyway, she found, had heard that she had, that her parents got into some legal trouble mm. and were sent to prison and, and this girl was put into uh, foster care and uh, she stayed with another family for a few years but then right before Christmas um, when she was 11 years old she was removed from this foster family and word got to her from another teacher that this this girl needed a place to go for Christmas and so my wife came to me and she said she said Garth can we just bring this girl into into our home for Christmas? I said, absolutely. And she was just staying at a, in, a, in a group home close to where we lived, just a few blocks away. And so we, we drove down, and I remember um, going to meet her for the first time. Mm. And I walked in, and, and I, <laughs> I saw her for the first time, this beautiful 11-year-old girl with this amazing hair, you know, this, this Mexican yeah. wavy full hair <laughs> Beautiful. and I just fell in love with her from, yeah. from, from day one and, and we had a great experience we, we invited her brothers her siblings who were also in you know, different foster care situations Sure. and so we invited we, we talked my wife and I talked and we said we need to get involved in foster care mm. and so that we can bring her into our home and we did so we became foster parents and she lived in our home from, we brought her in when she was 11 years old years of age. Awesome. Um, and we, through the process of time, uh, she was baptized and, and she uh, was sealed to us in the Brigham City Temple when she was 18 years old. I, I often tell people I feel bad for people who don't get to go through the temple with older children <laughs> and see them, uh, you know, you're, oh, you're, yeah. you're there. Had, you've had that experience. I've had right? that a few times now. Yeah. And to see them walk in in all white, yeah. I lose it every time. Yeah. I bawl my eyes out. Right, it's a beautiful experience. It was, and so um, th 
the oldest, both of my daughters are married. My oldest daughter is, is 26. Her name's Megan. Yeah. And uh, she's uh, married to a Marine named Aaron. Nice. Shout out to Aaron. We love these. We love the choices that our daughters have made and their husbands. It's great. Great, great people. And so my youngest daughter, Susanna, um, is married, and she just brought into this world our first granddaughter. Oh, congratulations. And, and so she's a month old, and I am a grandpa. <laughs> grandpa Congratulations, Garth. Grandpa Garth. Isn't That's that a fantastic. nice ring to it, isn't it? I like it? Grandpa Garth. <laughs> <laughs> and I am having a ball being I a bet. grandpa, being Grandpa Garth. I get the feeling that your granddaughter gets a little bit spoiled by Grandpa Garth. <laughs> and everybody else in the family. No shortage yeah. of yeah. love there. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm loving this. So throughout all this, you're doing all this music, and at some point you make the jump to being a serious artist. I yep. mean, you are a very well-known, well-respected, serious artist. How did that transition well, thank happen? Thank you. Um, when I was in, in Alabama and I was and I was involved with my country, you know, aspiring Nashville's career. Sure. Um, I was. It was. I was having success, and I was having people also partly because of my piano playing skills. Who were, to, who were coming to me, and, and I had opportunities to, if I wanted to, to, I could have gone on the road with different bands. But And I was playing with these bands, and I was playing in bars, and I was playing in, in places that were not so great, and I, was, I had bandmates that were, um, you know, their morals were, were uh, different than mine, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, sure. And, uh, Good way to put it. And my wife noticed that it was affecting me. And mm. I didn't notice it because I'm thinking, oh, hey, I'm this active member of the church. But it, when I look back, it was affecting me. Sure. And, I believe that. And I had to literally make a decision. And because if I would have stayed on the path that I was going down, I, th- I probably would not be married today. Yeah. And, um, and during this time, my wife was telling me, you know, your skills are in arranging hymns. Mm. I would play in sacrament meetings and things like that and make, do my own arrangements. And she said, that's what you need. And she was telling me this years ago. Yeah. And I didn't listen to her. And I didn't listen to her. And uh, this is just a great lesson for all you list- husbands out there. I, I was about to say, listen to not, your wife. not listening to your wife is usually a pretty bad plan. <laughs> I've learned. And so um, uh, we made the move to... I, I, fortunately, I made the choice that was the right choice, and that was to, to give up that side of my... Uh, of my desires and music and to focus on my family. And we, we moved to California. This opportunity to work here in California came up. And um, best decision of my life. And, but, it, you know, I still needed that creative outlet. And, and it was just, just four years ago. Uh, I was an early morning seminary teacher. I taught early morning seminary for wow. eight, eight years. Just love that. That's my favorite calling I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Hardest calling I've ever had. Hard to get up. Uh, it, I'm kind of morning. a morning person. Oh, and, good. Uh, and so I'm not. It, it, yeah, it, uh, it, that part wasn't hard for me. And, uh, but anyway, um, I had a student who, uh, as a junior, I taught the junior class. And I had a student who was a, just a self-taught, fantastic recording engineer. Mm. And and uh, we were just joking around, and and I had said, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about recording an, an album of hymns, and uh, he and I had been in a lot of studios, and I had done a lot of recording. Yeah, I recognized this kid had skills that exceeded engineers that I had worked with in in, uh, in studios, and and we worked together, and and it was then that I made the decision that I was going to. Uh, 
create my first album, to release a, an album of hymn arrangements. And, and that was, um, what, four years ago, three years ago. Just three, three years. years. Yeah. I did not know you'd been doing such a short amount of time. Yeah, it was a relatively short amount of time. So you released yeah. a CD. I, re- I released a CD. Was it just self-released? Yeah. Yeah, I, I created my own uh, company, and uh, it's called G&D Productions, and it's the company that I, I use today, and um, stands for Garth and Diane, my wife. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> how, awesome. How creative is Garth that? and Diane <laughs> Productions. I and uh, anyway... Um, yeah, and, and not knowing how to promote or anything like that, I just realized that I, I didn't know anything about it. And so I just, um, I, I just prayed that, the, well, I have to go back and to tell you what motivated me to, to do what I'm doing here. And, and as, a, as an early morning seminary teacher, I, uh, we had scripture mastery scriptures, which I, apparently they don't have that anymore. Mm. And uh, I, I remember rem- that. I remember... Um, one morning, as a teacher studying uh, the scripture, mastery scriptures, and, and in section 58, verse 22 and 23, is a very familiar scripture about men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and bring to pass much righteousness of their own free will. And as I read that scripture, I had, the, I had a spiritual experience. It was just like an amazing thing happened to me where I just felt like electricity running through my body. And it was like the message to me was, Garth, you have a gift. Mm. And you need to share that gift. And it needs to be a message about Jesus Christ because there are people that need to hear it. Yeah. And I've never shared that story publicly before. I've shared it with with a few people. But um, it was through that experience that I knew that if I had faith, the Lord would open doors. And if what I was supposed to do uh, was His will, there would be ways for for the doors to open. And I have just found... Uh, door after door after door opening to me now, and so that I can get these hymn arrangements out, and and then it was shortly thereafter then that that I decided to create a fireside um, that I would my goal and my dream and my vision was to to travel around the United States and to be able to share this fireside that was not just it wasn't it wasn't about me it wasn't a performance by me. It would be a Christ-centered multimedia presentation about Jesus Christ mm. that happened to have music with it. How great! And and so, what do you call this? I call it the the name of the fireside is the hymns another witness of Jesus Christ. Awesome. I first named it another testament of Jesus Christ, but the church said, yeah. "No, we, we've 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 got yeah, that we, one. We got something else that's yeah. another testament." <laughs> so of Jesus I had to change the name. Did the church actually reach out to you on it? Uh, did they reach out to me on and, the name? Uh, well, I had to uh, as as I was getting copyright. Uh, you know, I have to uh, for yeah. every hymn arrangement. I have to go go through the because the church owns the copyrights on these yeah. on these hymns. Yeah. And so as I worked with the legal department of the church on, on oh, getting right. permission to release these yeah. albums, um, I had mentioned this fireside, yeah. and, and I remember the, uh, the person that I was talking to in the legal department said, Garth, you can't use that. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty well-known phrase. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, but that experience is just, that has become my passion with my music that I'm doing now, is the, is the fireside. That has become my focus. And I actually... Um, I actually donate the CD, the sales of my CDs 
now so that I can travel around the country at no expense to the state for, you know, for flying or lodging. Wow. And, and I give opportunity, you know, all I need is an open date and a, and a place, a venue. Yeah. And, I, and I bring this fireside with my wife most, most of the time. She's my co-narrator on this. Yeah. And so we've enjoyed this experience together. And awesome. my and I'm doing the thing that I love to do more than anything. That's yeah. to bear testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and, I, and, 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 and to do music, it through and music. Inspire people through music. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's just been the most good for you. It's, it's just been the most uplifting experience and, and, and the uh, response. I see you light up as you're talking about it. Like I see you get excited about it. <laughs> it's the passion that I have and, and, and I've so just great. met so many wonderful friends through this experience. And that is uh, I mean awesome. dear friends and people that, that you know when you read the news, you hear about the horrible things that are happening in our country, and, and, and it just seems like so negative, negative, negative. And as I'm going around, I'm literally going around all over the, the United States now sharing this fireside, and, and fortunately I've had success with my music, and I've been able to provide uh, the funds that I can travel and to share this fireside. Amazing. And again, the Lord has opened doors for me to be able to do that. Um, as I share these things, uh, and I see, I go around the country, I don't see depressing things. I don't see, I see faith. I see wards, I see stakes, I see people, real people who live their religion, who love their religion, mm. everywhere, everywhere. And I come away from these trips, these travels, just so, I mean, I think of all, of all the friends that I've met, in, in, in these firesides, dear friends who have shared their testimonies with me. I've heard about how they found the, found the church and how they're doing everything in their power to build their own families ah. where they live, you know. And it's inspiring. It is just so amazing to me to see this. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it just like feeds the fire to... It's to, got to be so exhilarating to see people listening yeah. And for you to be a messenger on all this. Incredible. It is. And again, it's not about me. It's about sharing that, that witness of Christ. And, Very cool. And, uh, and to see the tears of joy as people, as their hearts are touched by this music that, that draws them closer to the Savior. Mm. I love it. Yeah, it's just, it's just if, so much if, fun. So if people want to find your music, where do they go? Well, um, I have my own webpage. It's garthsmithmusic.com. Garthsmith music.com yes yes and there will be links to everything we discuss in the show notes at latterdaylives.com we do link to everything so if there's anything we've talked about that you want to know about we do put up links for everything so garthsmithmusic.com right and so you can find my music in, in all the typical LDS music outlets like Deseret Book uh, your LDS music store.com all the other places that you typically go to you can find my music on iTunes Amazon, all the typical places where you can download MP3s. Spotify. You have a Spotify station. Yes, Spotify. I, was I have say. a Pandora. Yeah. I have a, two Pandora stations. I have a holiday Pandora station. Oh, really cool. Which is, which is really cool because it's not. If you want to listen to holiday music that isn't commercial, but is is the the carols and the hymns that focus on the Savior. Beautiful. Garth Smith, holiday. Awesome. <laughs> that, that's the channel. Well, it's not just me. It's just all these other artists. In, in our home, 
you have an Amazon Music Unlimited channel. Yes. Amazon will build out a channel for you. Uh-huh. So I asked uh, Alexa to build me a Garth Smith station. Oh, that's so awesome. So we have a station now that's centered around your music that we listen to on Sundays. That's great. We're big fans in our home. Oh, We're thank big, you. big Garth Smith music fans. So and now tell us a little bit about uh, Light the World and your partnership with Light the World. Oh, this has just been such a fantastic experience. It started last year when um, with that initial campaign and... Uh, I had created a, an arrangement of Old Little Town of Bethlehem. Oh, I love that. And we, love it. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to um, have the wonderful artist Callie Reed, who is a mm. Shadow Mountain artist. She does a lot of Time Out for Women. Uh, she recorded the vocals for this. And we had done an event earlier that year and became friends. And, and I had asked her to uh, re- record this song with me. And so... In doing last year, in doing a video for that song, uh, the videographer Cameron Gade, he uh, two days before the shoot, we did not have a location, <laughs> and he called me up and he said, "Garth, we I, I, we don't have a location." I said, "What are we going to do?" He says, "Well, there, he said well, there's a couple of possibilities. One is this beautiful home in the Salt Lake East Bench area that has beautiful big grand piano. The other possibility is the Joseph Smith Memorial Building on Temple Square." And I said, well, let's go there. He said, said, let's go. I said, let's go there. He said, well, there's one caveat. He said, we need first presidency approval to get in. I said, oh, let's see what we can do. You know, 20 minutes later, literally 20 minutes later, he calls me back up and he says, Garth, we're in. Unbelievable. I came to find out uh, when we were fortunate enough to film that old little town of Bethlehem video in the lobby of the Joseph Smith Memorial Building on Temple Square, that the church has never allowed anybody to film there before. Wow. And I was shocked, and and I was uh, humbled. Yeah. Um, And it was just a a wonderful experience to be able to to do that. That's incredible. And so, you know, hats off to Cameron Gade for... Yeah, great work. (laughs) ...for doing that, but... So you did it last year. You're partnered again this year. You've got some... So that video was... That video was... Yes, yes. That video was uh, uh, was part of that last year. And so this year, um, people at Bonneville International reached out and and asked if I would be what they call an influencer influencer, uh, as part of the Like the World campaign and asked that uh, any efforts that I do have a service component with the the Light the World campaign for 2017. And so um, I thought and I prayed about it and I, and I came up with the idea of doing a fireside, which is, of course is an area that I'm very familiar with. Sure. And doing a Christmas fireside based on my new album, which is called A Sacred Christmas. A Sacred Christmas. Yeah. I love that name. It was just released last, last <laughs> month. Fantastic. And, uh, and so I took the arrangements that I did on that album and and I've, and have shaped and built a fireside, and again, another multimedia type fireside. And um, I will be sharing this fireside in nine different cities between Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, starting actually this coming week. I'm going to be in Las Vegas and St. George. But awesome. Um, in, in nine different cities. And um, there is this. These firesides are, are going to be supporting a wonderful organization called Lifting Hands International, which is a uh, refugee relief organization. Beautiful. And so people who attend these firesides will have the opportunity to donate to this, uh, this refugee relief site. And uh, we're going to be doing a lot of good. 
That is so great. Yeah. And it's, I'm just so I, I love the Light the World campaign this year that there is that service component tied to it. Yeah. And I love that it's giving us the opportunity. Peter Breinholt last week mentioned how he's going to have, I think it's quarters for Christmas. And he said, how great that we can talk about the message, then not send people off to think about what they can do, but to walk it right out and you have an opportunity to give right there. Yeah, exactly. So if people want to find out what dates, well, do you know what cities you're going to be in? Yes, I do. Um, on uh, December 1st, I will be in Las Vegas. December 2nd, I'll be in St. George. December 8th, I'll be in Layton. December 9th, I will be in Riverton. December 10th, I'll be in Farmington. December 15th, I will be in Surprise, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix. December 17th, I'll be in Phoenix. Uh, December 22nd, I will be at the LA Temple Visitor Center. And December 23rd, I'll be in Southern California in Escondido, which is a suburb or an area of close to San Diego. And December 24th, you're going to be taking a nap. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I cannot believe that schedule. Those are not all close to each other, Garth. I know, I know. And, and uh, fortunately, I have a lot of uh, paid time off with my work. Yeah. And I have a very understanding boss. And, you're uh, still working full time and doing all this. Uh, Garth, this is, to me, what you are doing is the perfect example of light the world. You are lighting the world. You're taking your talents. And I would just challenge our listeners. It's not just... Garth, it's our listeners also. Everybody has something yes. that they can bring to the world. But I will tell you, Garth, you have an energy that is so contagious. <laughs> just sitting here has just lifted my soul. And I, I highly recommend to all of our listeners, please go out and check out this fireside and give to this awesome cause. So they can follow you at Garth Music or sorry, GarthSmithMusic.com. Yes. And that's probably got information on all this also. And then you're active yes. on Facebook. Yes. I've, People can follow you on Facebook and yeah. and all the rest. And it's just awesome. Tell us again the name of your album, your newest album. A Sacred Christmas. A Sacred Christmas. And again, we can get information on all this at, at GarthSmithMusic.com. Right. And we can check it out. Garth. I've, I've released two videos that are on my YouTube channel from this album. Oh, they, already? They, wow. Yeah, yeah, that you can check out. And so the YouTube... YouTube channel is just Garth Smith. Garth Smith Search music. for Garth Smith Music on uh, YouTube. Uh -huh. Fantastic. Garth, this has been just a, an incredible conversation. I so thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm going to end the way we end uh, pretty much all of our conversations with a question, and it can mean to you whatever it means to you. All right. Uh, we've had a big variety of, of answers to it, but what does being a member of the church mean to you? Oh, my gosh. We did not talk about this. I, did, I, but this I, do is, not, I, love, I love talking about this. I do not like prep this. people in advance for this question because I like to hear what people think. I'll tell you the word that, that first comes to my mind. When you asked that question, there was a big word. Not a big word, a small word. that just popped into my mind. And the word is joy. Joy. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I equate with being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is joy. Mm. Because it's brought me so much, so much joy. In the midst of trials and difficulties. Yeah. And it doesn't mean life is rosy all the time. But I, I truly, um, I mean, I go back to the teachings of my parents. And I go back to the examples of, of so many mentors in my life. And I see the joy that they had. And it put me on a path that I could discover for myself. Mm. That there truly is the ability that each of us truly have the ability to find joy in our difficulties and in our trials. 
And that joy is centered. If it's not centered on Jesus Christ, it won't happen. Mm. It has to be centered on Jesus Christ. Garth, this has been an incredible conversation. You are a tremendous artist, a great man, I can already tell, and just such a fantastic member of the church. It just It's great, great to have an association with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for your time, Sean. It's been a pleasure. My special thanks to Garth Smith for taking the time for that interview. And I will just tell you, you may not be able to tell while you're listening, but when he was talking about um, losing his son and his adoption and whatnot, there were moments, minutes almost, where I didn't say a word. I was pretty darn choked up. Garth is a a man of God, and I just love him and and so appreciate him and and hope you enjoyed that as much as I did because he's just a great man. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, uh, obviously Christmas is on my mind, as is all of us. And, uh, of course, we got out our tree, and it's time to decorate. We haven't put up all of our decorations yet. We're doing a couple of other things, and then we'll get the decorations up. But there's one decoration I look forward to. We have kind of... (laughs) kind of a funny tree. Uh, It's a very family tree. You know, sometimes you see those fancy trees where all of the ornaments uh, match. They're all the same color. I think my wife and I aspire someday to have that tree. Right now, we don't. Uh, We started a tradition years ago of taking our kids out every year and buying a new ornament, and our kids decided it was funny to buy the tackiest ornament that they could find. And we have, and then at one point, my father-in-law, just to mock us for how tacky our tree can look at times, he was drinking out of a Dixie cup and put the cup in the tree. We wrote his name on the bottom of it, and now we put it up every year. <laughs> it's just a fun tree, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But there is one instru- uh, one ornament that's really, truly special to me. And this ornament uh, goes back more than 40 years. When I was a little boy, three or four years old, uh, I just loved my Nana and Granddad, my grandparents. They're my uh, my dad's parents, and they lived in Anaheim, California, and I loved visiting them because we'd go to Disneyland or we just got to enjoy Southern California. It was so different from where I grew up in the Bay Area. And uh, my one on one of these visits, my Nana, my grandmother, decided to take me to the Five and Dime store, and I loved going to the Five and Dime. It was called Sprouse Reitz. And, uh, or maybe it was Wright's Sprouse. I think it's Sprouse Reitz. But in any case, it was a five and dime chain. There were some here in Utah. It went out of business in 1991, I think, something like that. Uh, but it was a five and dime store. And for some of our younger listeners who don't know what a five and dime store, boy, way back in, you know, the, the, the forties, fifties, a five and dime was everything really was a five and dime. Kind of like a dollar store was originally everything was a dollar. So you'd go to the five and dime. And it was sort of a a small, just an emporium. It was just all kinds of things. You could get just about every everyday need uh, that you would have there, kind of uh, similar to what maybe a Walgreens, a larger Walgreens would have. It was a drugstore, you know, that kind of a store. But uh, this five and dime, boy, I loved going there. And it was walking distance from my grandmother's house. So we walked over and she said, Sean, I'm going to let you choose one ornament just one, and I will buy it for you. And oh, the anticipation. And I still remember shopping for it with her. 
And I looked through the ornaments and I looked through and what was I going to get? And all of the sudden there it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. It was a gold lame mouse. And I don't mean a full mouse. I mean, it was basically a styrofoam ball and stuck onto it were um, some glitter and there was a gold lame glittery hat and these big gold lame glittery disco looking ears that stuck out from it. (gasps) I thought it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And rest assured that through adult eyes, anyone who sees it knows that it is the tackiest ornament that has ever been created. But as a three or four year old, I was in love with it. And I said, Nana, this is the one I want. Well, it was so cheap and it had, you know, just a uh, pipe cleaner as a, a hanger on the back and And it was just so cheesy and cheap. And my Nana, I still remember this. She said, no, Sean, come on. That's going to be destroyed within a year. I can't buy this for you. And I said, Nana, please, I have to have the gold lame mouse. And we went back and forth on it. And my Nana, who loves me, finally said, fine, I'll buy you the mouse. But that thing will not still be around in a year or two. Well, I was going to prove Nana wrong. And I loved that so much that every year I would make sure that my mom packed away the mouse somewhere really safe and that it was wrapped up and safe. And I remember getting home from my mission and there it was still the mouse. And every year I couldn't wait to pull out this mouse. And every year I would show it to my Nana so proudly. Nana, look, here's the mouse. And then I got married and the mouse came to my house. And still as a young married couple, When I would see my Nana, I'd say, yep, I got out the gold lame mouse. My Nana passed away a few years ago. And every year uh, when we're decorating the tree, there's a little box that we get out. And that little box is a special home for this mouse. And I'll put up a picture of this mouse on our Facebook page so you can see it. The nose is now missing. The uh, tail is long gone. But that mouse remains. And all of my kids know how special it is. Why is it special? Well, it's not because it's so wonderfully made or made of the highest quality materials is because a woman who loved me very, very much thought that I was important and and wanted to show me. And that's a connection that I have with her. And I love the gospel of Jesus Christ because it connects us to our loved ones. And someday I'm going to see my Nana again. And at some point it's going to come up that whenever I die, when I'm 70, 80, 90, whatever it is, that mouse will still be well taken care of. And I will tell her how much it meant to me and how much she means to me. And that for me is Christmas. And people get down about the commercialization of Christmas. Let me just tell you, my opinion is that Christmas commercialization is personal. That we get to decide how much of that we let in. And sure, it can be depressing with all the TV ads and uh, you know all the websites and, and the stores and everything else. Sure, it can be depressing if we let it, but we can flip it on its ear with the right attitude. And when we really hang on to the true meaning of Christmas, of Christ, of service, of love, and uh, of those things that are really important, we can take things that might be commercial or whatever otherwise, and we can make them really, really beautiful and important. And that is what is going on this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for listening once again to the show. Thank you again to Garth Smith. We really appreciate it. Uh, remember, show notes are available on latterdaylives.com. You just go on latterdaylives.com, 
Click on show notes. There are links to everything we've talked about. Uh, if you want to follow us, we're on Twitter at Latterday underscore lives. Facebook, just search for Latterday Lives will come up, but it's facebook.com slash Latterday Lives podcast. Instagram is Latter underscore day underscore lives dot com. We can be found on Apple uh, Podcasts, on the uh, Google Play Music Store, and uh, on just pretty much anywhere that you get a podcast. That's where you can find us. If where you listen allows you to get, leave a review, uh, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear it. Hopefully it's a five-star review or whatever, but uh, if, if we can do better, you can certainly let us know. I can be reached by email at Sean at Latter-day Lives. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. And again, we just thank you so much. If you find value in the show, nothing, uh, there's nothing we appreciate more and no bigger compliment than if you could share it with somebody and uh, hopefully it'll help lift up their day just a little bit. So Merry Christmas. Get those shopping lists done. Enjoy time with loved ones. Enjoy the holidays because there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for that.